Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 169 for Monday, November 29th, 2021. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixorifs, and joining me, as always, is Joel Duggan. Joel, Merry Christmas Eve, or Cliffsmas Eve, I should say. I was like, Christmas Eve? It's not December. You can't, there's, no, there's no Christmas mm. music. There's none of that until December. We got two days. <laughs> it <laughs> two is, days. It is. It is beginning to look a lot like Cliffsmas, though, and yes. uh, yeah, we're going to be we're going to be talking a little bit about that later on in the show. Uh, speaking of cliffs, if you would like to hear a lot about uh, Johnny's experience working with Lego bricks behind the scenes on a new video on his YouTube channel. Uh, in the render distance, you can do that, along with hearing me talk about my giant Autobot Metroplex factory in Satisfactory by going over to patreon.com slash the supporting the show, and then you get access to the render distance, which is the extended version of the podcast that we record every week. You get a little behind the scenes, you get some information, you get a pre and a post show. Sometimes it's extended Minecraft conversations, sometimes it's just weather. <laughs> it really depends yes. on what's going on. And if you're able to listen to the show live, you can hear the amount of times that I fumble over the intro trying to get it right this week, which is more than one, <laughs> let me tell you. And even though, yeah, a couple of stumbles have already clearly made it into the main show anyway. Um, so we are we are here to talk about Minecraft as ever. And before we get into the news, of which there are many, many pre-releases for Minecraft 1.18, what have you been doing in the last week of 1.17, Joel? Well, uh, since the rain has been coming down, uh, upside down, sideways, left, right, and center here in Nova Scotia. I've been inside all week. And then in Minecraft, I have also been inside. I've been focusing on the interior design of some of the buildings that I've been working on for the last few weeks on uh, the Southgate Road in the medieval town of West Hill. And so uh, I have a, a large deep slate hall that's right at the gate and that needed some some love inside. It's got a nice big table. I've been, I remembered to use candles. <laughs> for mood uh it's got like a triple wide fireplace with an off center fire like i put the fire off to the to the right hand side not just like plunking of a, a bonfire or a campfire in the middle i've actually got two campfires on either side of a log to kind of make it look like a bigger fire and uh really happy with the way that the hearth turned out it's it's blocky and heavy and it feels kind of um really like the centerpiece of the room uh, happy with the rafters. I didn't grab a screenshot of those, but like really trying to do some different things. Every building that I've been doing these uh, insides in, the first thing I do is I do the rafters and then I'll lay out like tables and chairs because I do, I have the data pack from Chuck Chuck that we use on the server. Uh, mm -hmm. And then of course I've got um, uh, note blocks or, or textured as crates. Uh, I've got um, trap chests are spruce instead of oak looking. Uh, and then we've got mini blocks for like little barrels and things like that. So I've had a lot of fun. It takes forever. Like I think I think the inside of that hall took the full stream <laughs> on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. But it was fun. It was fun to kind of like not be messing around with roof lines, not be jumping up and down constantly trying to like back up to 400 meters away and see what it looks like and then zoom back in and then, you know, fix it up. Really, you can kind of make a lot of quick decisions. And um, until then, the builds have all been pretty empty inside. So I wanted to make sure that they had some some interiors. I uh, also worked on the warehouse across the way. Uh, again, just adding stuff, you know, making sure that the staircase up to the next level made sense, uh, adding another doorway into the shed outside. Uh, and then finally, uh, that area needed some uh, texture work and some greenery uh, along the riverbank. I hadn't done any of that. And so it's feeling very done. There are still two houses on that block that don't have an inside, and I will do them. 
Um, but they're not very big houses. They won't take long. Like it, one of them will take maybe a half an hour. So it shouldn't be too much before that whole area is is done. Then I've got to work my way, my way back up to the main gate because the main gate is like very empty. It, it's like Disneyland shell <laughs> kind of empty yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, because it was the first thing I built. And I was so excited to get the town going that I kind of built the outside and very quickly moved on. But over the last year, I've kind of found a little bit more of a, a nuanced way to do the insides without getting too carried away. Uh, and they're not too crowded. So it's been fun. It's been fun to get get all that together. Yeah, it's all looking great. I think um, along with the candles, I don't know if you've ever tried doing this or if you decided it looks too out of place, but a lot of the time when you're looking to decorate tables, when it's like a home or a kind of, you know, eating hall kind of thing, I find that sea pickles actually make a pretty good approximation of mugs or like maybe glass bottles if you want to talk about like rough kind of opaque-ish green glass that they would have had in you know earlier times when things were like a little bit less mass manufactured i kind of like the idea of throwing some of them down and those and flower pots i find without any you know decorations in them look a lot like you know a pewter drinking cup or something like that that can add a little bit of um a little bit of color to scenes like this when things are getting a little bit gray and brown um but yeah i think they provide pretty good uh, table ornamentation it was the kind of stuff that there was a lot of in the dungeon areas in Pixar back when I used to play that. And there were a lot of table decoration details and stuff that you could pick up and bring home to your own builds that didn't really do a whole lot once they were there, but made the place look a little bit more lived in, you know? Yeah, with the addition of candles, it, it, you do start to want a lot more happening with the, this, those kind of things. And um, I've used sea plickles like that in the past. Uh, actually, Servermate... Uh, Stephen ESC, one of his sons wrote a data pack uh, that allowed sea pickles when placed out of water. In water, they're regular sea pickles, but when they're out of water, he changed the various types of placements of sea pickles into different place settings. So mm-hmm. you could have like plate and and like like a bowl and a spoon, I think a knife and fork, and then um, a beer stein was like one of the yeah. one of the other things. And the cool thing is like using them like you were suggesting. If you come across them without the data pack, they just it just looks like a, an out of water sea pickle, which you know people would use them in this way anyway. So it mm-hmm. it, it makes sense um, to pilfer a little bit from an email later. Uh, I I do have a couple of flower pots around, and I've used them in the in the area from time to time. But uh, now that we have candles in the game, when your brain thinks flower pot and have it on a table, and you think, yeah, that looks like a mug, like that could work. When you see it next to a candle, you realize just how big that flower pot is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're like, that is a massive, it's like drinking out of like a four liter jug, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. That's, so, that's where they keep their soup or whatever, you know, instead of. <laughs> yeah. 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 But uh, yeah, it's been fun to to kind of get down. And I also, I, I've been dialing back. I had put lanterns. I've been on like lantern mode whenever I put in the in stuff in these builds. The first thing I want to do after I've got the shell up is remove the torch spam from inside so I don't have unwanted guests. And yeah. replace mm-hmm. them with lanterns that I've not been like crazy specific about it. I've been getting most of the blocks up to light level, you know, seven or above. If I've got a five or six in a corner, I I really don't care. Um, I, I prefer it to be at least a little bit moody. But of course, you know, on my mind with 118 coming up, I've been thinking like, you know, I don't need to have these lanterns here. I could just put candles. And as long as we've got, you know, some light in the corners of this room for the next couple of days, I'll be fine once yeah. 118 is here and i might even go through the town and remove some lights because there's some places that 
I need lights because it's a dark corridor or a dark stairwell that has like a landing or something. But unfortunately, from the outside, it lights up the door, which makes no sense. Like there's, there's this part of your building is just glowing. It's like, that's weird. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to having some, I will say gloomier streets, some just more ambience, I guess, going on in, in the town at night. Yeah, I, th I think it's going to be an interesting task for people to decide whether they want to relight existing builds if they're upgrading a world and i was uh, briefly browsing the minecraft reddit earlier today just like looking for people excited about the updates and sharing cool stuff and there was a user called scobbish who posted a screenshot of a desert that they and presumably some server mates had flattened out in its entirety and the torch grid placement in that is immaculate like it looks like a a series of like lit up diamonds basically all over the ground and uh there were a bunch of people in the comments kind of going the torch placement is like very satisfying to look at like it's so cool that you've done that because of the the screenshot is at night and there's clearly you know no mob spawning except where they've intended them and uh i just think you you, you can go through and remove half of those at that point but do you want to because of the way it looks at night is that actually a desirable effect for you or is mm -hmm, it the kind of thing mm -hmm. that you know, potentially you're going to want to change up because you, you can reclaim half your torches at that point and also maybe make the area a little bit more atmospheric. Yeah, I, I think there might be a couple of builds I go back to, but in general, if it makes sense for the lantern to be there, if it makes sense for things to be lit bright, or if it looks cool, then I'm probably going to leave it. But, you know, I'm trying... As a whole in the server, we try not to retcon anything. Like I try not to go back and like rebuild things with new blocks and say, oh, I wish I had this texture back in, you know, 2019 and just kind of go rebuild something. And I just, I, I we'd, I'd never be, I'd never stop. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I have to put rules up somewhere. But yeah, it's, it's good. It's an interesting mindset now to, to go into a build and realizing it's really dark and to go like, well, hey, this isn't going to matter. <laughs> this mm -hmm. isn't going to matter. It's, it's weird. I would imagine there's going to be some very well-trained brains kind of losing their, their themselves and being just like freaking out. It's like, is it, it's kind of dark in here. Don't you think it's too dark in here? I think it's too dark in here. <laughs> and mm -hmm. then, you know, people just expecting creepers or expecting zombies and skeletons to be coming out of the woodwork and then just like nothing happens, you know? Yeah. I think candles are actually kind of an interesting approach to that though because if you see something spawning in there and you thought oh i just put enough candles in there i had like you know two in a in a cluster that i thought was going to provide enough light for the surroundings but there's maybe one spot in the corner that doesn't you just go in add another candle to that set so it's like whatever three or four points brighter and then you can walk away and i think candles actually become quite a flexible light source in that respect where putting down a torch just ends up being a flat rate of 14 light level you know i think it's uh it's kind of fun that candles and a couple of other light sources give you that flexibility within just one type of item i know that candles have an incremental you know increase as you put more and more candles into uh the block but i find visually they they don't do much at one or two yeah like mm. if you want ambient light to see stuff you need at least three but if you've got one or two, it, it looks cool. Like it'll look like a candle, but it's really not giving up much light. I find there's a big jump from a visual standpoint between two candles and three candles. But then sometimes three candles look like too much. You know, if yeah. it's just like a, that one single table in the corner of a small house, three candles feels like too much. Whereas like three candles on a big table in the middle of a pub feels fine, right? Mm-hmm. 
yeah, it's it's all about like the the opportunity for realism in lighting, which is something we haven't really gotten to explore as much in Minecraft before because of the functionality. So, again, interesting times, and we've we've talked about this plenty of times before when discussing the light level changes. But man, I'm excited to actually get in there and try some of it. Speaking of trying stuff, what are you doing to prepare for 118? Well, I've been holding off on making a survival world because, of course, the main thing is going to be survival guide in 1.18 full release. But I've been preparing some 1.18 content with the stuff I've been talking about in previous weeks, some hopefully evergreen reference guides for new and returning players. Um, in the process of that, I've also been doing a bit of landscape photography in Minecraft because I need thumbnails for some of these and I don't want to fill the thumbnail up with, you know, redundant information and all of these kind of on-screen graphics that are just going to make the thumbnail look like a, uh, a real pig's ear. So instead, I've been going around getting nice landscape shots uh, of the game. So I've got a few of those now. Um, but this includes stuff like the glossary video I was talking about, which I'm actually going to call the Minecraft Player's Dictionary, uh, and it involves diving into all sorts of gameplay over the last little while for like a few brief minutes just to kind of have examples to illustrate each thing I'm talking about. Um, and in that time, I briefly looked at all of Fabric 4, the uh, 1.17 mod pack, for a few supporting clips from modded Minecraft. Uh, and so that was sort of the most outlandish thing I did this week to be honest the rest of it was just kind of getting a little bit of supporting like b-roll basically for for some of these videos uh the first thing I'm going to be recording in 1.18 itself is going to be a video about world settings uh, which will end with me creating the new world for season two of survival guide um, but in the meantime, yeah, I've been been getting a, a few extra clips. I even loaded up a, a skyblock world in 1.18 release candidate 3 because that has a border, I think, a thousand blocks out in every direction. But since I was loading up a fresh version of the, the, the world download, that border hadn't really been explored much further than a couple of blocks out. And it also now has Deep Slate going down below a certain level. But because of the, the smart thing Mojang has done, where they don't generate Deep Slate level underneath places where there wasn't bedrock in the existing world, the skyblock part of it is perfectly preserved. So there is a void perimeter around this area. And once you get out to the world border, you start to see the terrain seamlessly blending into 1.18 terrain. And so you end up with some of those scenic mountains and uh, obviously you get a, a giant wall where the stone generation ends and the deep slate generation begins. And that was perfect for illustrating ore generation and what levels that you can expect to find ores now <laughs> because a lot of the stuff that was generated was new for 1.18. So I was really happy that that existed as an example because it was much easier for me to show, okay, in deep slate levels, there is diamond pans down to where the diamond ore is sitting about halfway down the world. So it uh, it worked out very well and made for some pretty interesting screenshots in the end. Yeah, the the, the part with like the one that you're talking about, the the sky block with the the sheer face of like a cross section of the mm -hmm. new minecraft depth is really cool looking and um, really kind of gives you a perspective on like you feel like the the new deep slate depths are are very deep and it's super far down but when you realize that there's a mountain right behind that that looks to be because it's in the distance probably taller then yeah. it is then the world is deep below sea level you're like wow okay this is massive 
Yeah, it really is. And it's it's it occurred to me this week that depending on mountain placement and the way some of the caves generated, maybe a little bit of extra work on the part of the player, you can end up with a cavern in the overworld that is now larger than it is possible for a cavern to be in the nether. <laughs> and wow. and that was a wild thought. I was like, you know, lava lake level in the nether is like Y32, I think. And then the maximum height it can have is 96 blocks up from there where the bedrock ceiling is and then you think about that 96 blocks is nothing to the cavern levels of the overworld now if you're at bedrock at negative 64 sea level is 128 blocks above you and then if there's a mountain above that then you can have something that stretches you know 150 blocks or so before you even see the ceiling and like the top part where the surface would be so it's it's frankly a an eye-opening thing about what the overworld is capable of in this update and yes as people in our live chat are pointing out it's going to make calculating nether portal positions a little interesting but uh, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm sure we'll all run into that uh, every so often uh one last thing speaking of mountains that i was able to do this week was thanks to a fantastic sponsorship from the lego group i was recreating a a mountain from the survival guide mountain range from season one in lego form so uh working with lego bricks and everything i was just kind of assembling a you know an interpretation i'm not going to have enough bricks to do the entire thing but um yeah these these um lego sets that they sent me from the the lego minecraft collection were you know able to provide enough bricks that i was able to rebuild a mountain from the survival guide and the ski lodge that i built nearby and that was really fun and a a fantastic challenge i think as somebody who never really did all that much custom stuff with lego sets before i usually built stuff based on the instructions but then having uh, a chance to use what i've learned from building in minecraft and apply that to a lego set was phenomenal um so we're going to share the link to that video in the show notes for this week as well um super happy for the opportunity uh this part of the spawn chunks is not sponsored but the lego video on my uh my youtube channel is so please do check it out because i had a lot of fun with that uh, it looks fantastic like i do even just the i haven't watched the video yet but just the just a quick you know quick view before the show and and the thumbnails look look like it's really unique like it, it doesn't look like the other mountains and other things that i've seen in in lego sets like in in instruction based like lego design yeah. things it looks more like it's it's got the the pixel riffs touch so, so to speak, <laughs> thank you i'm glad cool. the pixel riffs the pixel riffs touch is at least visible on this thing yeah but, uh, yeah well I, yeah. I think i think with the amount of experience that you have building especially mountains you know organic stuff landscaping all the things that you've done in minecraft it would be pretty I would say impossible as a fellow creator not to like bring those kind of like visual skills and what you would want to portray to like to the 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 mountainscape. So like you know the the asymmetry of the mountain, the the not random but the very organic placement of the different heights of the cliff faces. You know that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. The kind of things that you and I noodle about in Minecraft. I'm, I I can see that you noodled about in in the in the Lego build. Uh, oh boy, it, did I? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, with all that work, here's the pressing question: You know, I have in your possession a number of Minecraft Lego sets. Any any desire to take these things apart at some point and build the actual sets as they came designed? 
I mean, maybe. It will require a lot of sorting beforehand because now they're all separate from the bags that they initially came in. Right. So I don't know which which pieces would correspond to which set and I'd have to spend probably a whole day like organizing some of that stuff into, into its component parts with the instructions splayed across my dining room table. But uh, yeah, maybe at some point. I, I'm sort of loath to take these sets apart now because potentially there's going to be more that we can do with them. I think these might end up as decorations in my office for a long time before I consider doing anything else with them but cool. yeah super super fun to do and I snuck in a couple of easter eggs like there's a couple of the Minecraft characters in there as little figures uh, Steve is inside the mountain mining some emerald ore blocks in there and stuff so it was it was a lot of fun to uh, to do that um, let's move on to the news though because there is a bunch of news to read but not a huge amount of discussion is going to come out of these so we can get straight into chunk mail really after this um so the first news, of course, is Minecraft 1.18 pre-releases. We had pre-releases 6 through 8, came out since our last show was recorded. And there's a few changes and bug fixes to talk about. So changes in 1.18 pre-6 included a tweak to the number of features in cave biomes and the game now saving chunks whenever there was time to uh, reduce autosave spikes. Uh, the number of features in cave biomes was later, I think, readdressed in pre-7, but that's just been kind of tweaked back and forth a little bit as they're optimizing things. Uh, bug fixes across all three pre-releases, no sense really splitting them up too much, is that nether bedrock roof can generate exposed. Uh, that was been fixed. A dripstone was was not generating at higher Y values and now is. Uh, some chunks had missing blocks below zero, now taken care of. Pointed dripstone was making holes in lava pools. Azalea trees could generate in more than two blocks of water. And uh, parity issues here and there. Ravagers were still attacking baby villagers in Java edition, which they don't on bedrock that's been fixed as well and cats were no longer scaring phantoms away for a few of the pre-releases but that's been rectified as per usual there will be fixes for a small handful of crashes and a few other bug fixes will be in the full changelog at minecraft.net now we move on to the release candidates which uh, started to pop up late last week uh, we have release candidates one through three and <laughs> special bonus release candidate four was released during our pre-show uh, so slice lime announced that on twitter and uh, release candidates one through four don't have a huge amount going on with them but they are just supposed to be the last tweaks before the full release of 1.18 so some technical changes in release candidate one include the size limit for server resource packs being increased from 100 megabytes to 250 megabytes and the changes in release candidate four was an issue with the lower distribution of coal ore which has now been fixed and then some other bug fixes include moving through blocks in spectator mode was causing a memory leak in larger caves cave generation wasn't reaching down low enough to generate large lava lakes at y negative 54 those should now be in place as well and in release candidate three some blocks lost the loot inside them after a player died in the area that is now fixed as well so we are we are hopefully looking at a pretty pretty bug fixed uh release tomorrow fingers crossed because of course the caves and cliffs update part two minecraft 1.18 is due for release tomorrow november 30th we don't know what time yet uh so we can't really give a timestamp for that but hopefully it should be out before the end of the day central european time tomorrow uh, I'm actually even seeing some 404 returns from the Minecraft.net site. So uh, as people go and check out this link, just be aware that there may be updates, there may be things happening behind the scenes, and you might just have to be patient before you can read what's what's happening. But yeah, I mean, I'm confident things are looking pretty solid. They seem to be 
like crossing off, off a lot of small details as they get closer to the release yeah and all looks good from here i mean i i've been playing in the release candidates just to record these clips i was talking about for the the survival guide glossary video and everything seems pretty smooth i've not noticed crashes i've not sort of run into any odd issues here and there um as usual i'm going to be interested in hearing how people's performance fares now that they've gone through the bug fixing and optimization period of 1.18 development and it's going to be in full release uh, so it'd be interested to hear from you if you're leaving a comment on YouTube, if you're writing into the show, uh, dropping a couple of lines about how 1.18 is performing for you uh, would be really interesting to hear a bit more from the community on that. Um, besides that, the only thing I have left to say really is hats off to the Mojang team and everyone who's been reporting bugs during the uh, snapshot development for 1.18. I think... It's going to be a really interesting update. It's going to be fantastic fun to get into. And I wonder how many people are going to dip back into Minecraft to find that the terrain has changed uh, completely. <laughs> because yeah. it has. Uh, and, and a note for folks that do find bugs, uh, make sure you're using the bug tracker. You know, don't just at reply de developers or community people on, on Twitter. It's much better to use the bug tracker to report things like that. They get fixed a lot faster. Yes, the old refrain from Sliced Lime especially has been, uh, yeah, make sure you use the bug tracker if you want us to fix anything, because complaining at the devs on Twitter maybe raises awareness for certain things, but it's not going to do much else. Uh, well, it, so it's, it's like it's like me. Like, I mean, if you want something for me business-wise, email me. Like, if you yeah, DM exactly. me some random place, I am not going to remember that it's there, but my email is more of a to-do list, and I'm sure that the you know, they have an internal process at Mojang, and I'm sure the bug tracker is a big part of that. Yes, absolutely. I'm sure a lot of them are getting uh, not sick of the sight of the bug tracker, but they're at least looking forward to doing something else <laughs> after all of this. And who knows, because it, it may be possible that there's some more stuff comes up during the process of 1.18 being out to so many people uh, that more bugs will come to light and they might need to do a 1.18.1 uh, a uh, release sometime before the end of the year. So keep your eyes peeled for that, of course. But uh, yes, a, a responsible thing to do is report issues to the bug tracker when you see them. Moving on into chunk mail. If you'd like to email the show, you can send that email along to spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Please use that email address. It's the only one we check. You can, of course, include things like your experience over the next week in 118. How are you liking it? What are you doing? Uh, we have a first email from Sunnybrook One, which is actually in response to the flower and, uh, sorry, the flower pot and, um, sapling conversation that Johnny and I had a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. uh, happy holidays to you two. Regarding should all saplings look and act like azalea saplings from a recent episode, I agree that the natural growing mechanic should stay. I rely on it heavily myself in early survival, but the thought of having unique 3D model versions of each sapling was really cool. What if bone mealing a sapling in a flower pot caused it to go from a 2D model to a new 3D model? That would preserve the base, base sapling auto grow function while also giving a wider variety of quote unquote bonsai looking trees to use for decoration or as the base for bushes and other leaf types. I know this would add even more items to an already bursting blocked library, but I have faith that the developers will come up with a unique functional solution to our inventory woes soon. Thanks for reading, and as always, for the delightful discussions. Sunny Brook One eats some suspicious stew and hallucinates that her bonsai trees reveal the meaning of life, and then promptly forgets what they said. <laughs> um, next time, maybe. Um, I like this as a mechanic, right? Like, this is more a uh, a use for flower pots if anything and i think that's kind of cool because flower pots in terms of functionality don't add much beyond 
a way to decorate your place. So I, I do like that. I thought that was a really neat idea too. And I like the idea of adding some function to flower pots. So sure, they look cool and you can put a few things in them, but actually using it to create a new model of sapling that you then could place other places, I think could be really cool. It adds mm -hmm. some use for clay. It, it, you know, in, it encourages the exploration of like, we'll call it the clay tree in Minecraft, you know, for not just fashionable, but also functional purposes. Uh, and I was actually just commenting, like I mentioned earlier this weekend on stream about clay pots and how I wishing they were more versatile uh, and having a clay pot that's meant for trees and then a clay pot that's meant for other things could be, could be more, could be, you know, more fun, I guess, in terms of the uses of the clay pots. Um, I like the idea of separating out the, the saplings that naturally grow in the ground versus saplings that are now a block in your inventory. Mm, I think that's a yeah. cool, I think that's a cool distinction. <laughs> I do, I do find that a number of times when we have emails about adding a new block set to the inventory, they also have that little asterisk, like, I'm sure the devs will figure out a way <laughs> to, to handle our ever growing block library, but I'm going to mm -hmm. say we add more blocks anyway. <laughs> yeah. I always find that really amusing. Um, question though, and I, I'm embarrassed. I don't know this, uh, in terms of azalea saplings, can we put those on top of things like cauldrons and composters, like in, with the process of like planting the sapling, removing the block under it, and then putting in a cool looking planter-esque block underneath it? Or do the saplings, like every other sapling pop off? Azaleas do pop off the block, so okay. um, yeah, you can't keep them on there. If they were in a flower pot, they have a, obviously like a different shape at that right. point, but the, yeah. the flower pot can stay there because it doesn't need to have a supporting block. But flower, uh, azaleas can only be placed on stuff like moss, dirt, and so forth, and then they break if you break the block underneath them, yeah. So I have the moss farm, and I couldn't remember whether it was the water that washed away the azalea or whether it was the shifting stone floor that broke the azalea. So it's probably the, the shifting stone floor that breaks mm -hmm. the azalea, and then the water yeah. collects everything. Okay. That's that's too bad, because it could have been a, a situation where... Well, I guess that's I guess re reinforces Sunnybrook One's idea of once you get this new bonsai-looking tree that you could then place down as a block in the world as a custom shrub, then if you could place it like a block, then that would allow you to put it on top of, you know, cauldron and have it look like a modern planter in a modern city or have it, mm -hmm. you know, be part of something that, you know, might line some bushes in some like, you know, estate, you know, like if you had like a cool um, manicured look to all your shrubbery going up to your front door, that could be kind of fun. I like the idea. Yeah, I think that's one of the coolest things about Azalea has been the ability to combine it with moss and make it look like topiary is happening. Like that's mm -hmm. that's always a a really fun uh, look for Azalea for me for like modern driveways and and tree lined paths and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I, I I do like the idea of expanding the clay tree a little bit, or or at least kind of adding more mechanics to it. And with renewable clay being an option now that 1.19 is going to be adding mud, and mud is going to be able to be turned into clay for renewable clay. Granted, most people are going to use that to get their supplies of terracotta and that kind of stuff. But if you want, you know, renewable flower pots to be a thing, then obviously adding more functionality to flower pots seems sort of like the ideal time to do it. So yeah, maybe an option for a, a near future update if uh, Mojang wants more blocky saplings in the world. I forget that you can make terracotta out of clay because clay is always so sacred currently, right? Because you can't just <laughs> yeah. renewable, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and so many people are used to tearing apart a uh, Badlands biome for their for their uh, terracotta instead of 
the, the the relative abundance of terracotta compared to the uh you know the lack of clay that we typically find um Moving on to the next email, uh, this is kind of going to be a, a two-parter because we've got another email that ties in perfectly with this. So I'm going to read this first one, which comes in from Minecraft Mama, who is a landscape artist member of our Discord as well. So thank you for the support. And the subject of this one is 1.18 Strategy. Hey Joel and Johnny, I've been playing in the new snapshots since they started coming out, eager to explore the new caves and world generation. I've started up a few new worlds in survival, and i found that my approach to the game has completely changed, and this has brought on an annoying problem. Before the update, I stayed around the world spawn point, maybe found the nearest village and set up camp, did a little bit of caving and branch mining, and then later on did some exploring, usually using maps. Now with this amazing new world generation, I immediately want to explore both the surface and the caves, find the most amazing spot to set up camp, but also explore high up to find iron in the mountains and high caves. So I play for an hour or two, get some resources and armor, start caving, and then die. Not having set a spawn point near because I've slept through the night and then brought my bed with me, I respawn at world spawn, not sure how to find my way back to my stuff deep down in some cave. Not sure where it is or what to do next, I rage quit. I realize I need a new strategy for 1.18, but I'm not sure what that is. Should I start mass producing beds in early game, leaving a trail of them behind me? Should I be more patient and set up camp at world spawn anyway and wait to explore? That feels boring. I want to explore immediately. I'm sure you two have some thoughts on this problem, and I'm sure other players like me who tend to die a lot will have the same issue. Greetings from a birch forest on the outskirts of Stockholm, Minecraft Mama. Second email on this subject comes in from Tim S., a landscape member of the community, looking forward to exploration. Hello, Joel and Johnny. I first started playing Minecraft on the Xbox at around the time 1.17 Caves and Cliffs Part 1 came out. I started a long-term world, but since I knew that 1.18 was coming shortly, I didn't dare travel more than a few hundred blocks away from spawn. I want to keep the world around, and I don't think console players have the ability to trim chunks. Any tips for someone who is just venturing out for the first time on a longer adventure after 118 drops? Thanks. Tim got lost looking for a lush cave. Well, we know what he wants to do. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, like I think these these do definitely go hand in hand because the exploration aspect of 1.18 is sort of the call of the whole update, really. Mm -hmm. it's, it's what people are going to want to do because you want to see how the world has changed from your previous experiences. And one of the things they've even recommended doing in, in the um, the YouTube video they put out most recently on the Minecraft YouTube channel, uh, one of the things Henrik was directly recommending that people do is where if you load up a world and you don't like the area you spawn in, go looking for another area in that world and explore as you go. And that way you'll get to experience the terrain while you're looking for that perfect place to set up your first base. So I think Minecraft Mama's instincts are correct and it's the problem is yeah the the bed breaking part of it right the fact that you've set your spawn somewhere and you don't want to leave a bed in a cave <laughs> and you don't want to end up just respawning somewhere that is not as familiar and might be surrounded by hostile mobs you need to live a nomadic lifestyle but the problem with that is you end up respawning back at your world spawn if you haven't set a bed beforehand and i honestly think that maybe with some of the changes to the world in future and maybe with stuff like the wild update prompting more players to step outside of their front door and go exploring in the world i almost think that there need to be like i don't know priority spawns a little bit so that you can sleep through the night somewhere out in the wild 
but then that doesn't erase the fact that you have a spawn point set at your house house, you know? Um, I'm not quite sure how that mechanic would really work, because you'd have to kind of give priority to stuff that wasn't the world spawn um, if you broke a bed that you were using out in the wild. And I suppose that's part of the balance of survival Minecraft, but even so, if you're dying a lot, I expect that's a pretty frustrating issue. It's a dangerous business, Pixel Rifts, going out your door. You step onto the <laughs> road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. Yes. I, uh, <laughs> I think that um, there's a there's a gameplay shift, I think, coming with 118. And I think that Minecraft Mama hit on it in, in, in the email, which is patience, which mm -hmm. I think is going to smack some Minecraft players in the face <laughs> a little hard. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not, I don't want to sound like I'm preaching from on high here. I, this happened to me when I was exploring the, the, the 118 snapshots and the 117 snapshots when they were first coming out with the terrain generation, the experimental ones, because, uh, on stream, I wanted to show off the new stuff. I wanted to explore the new stuff and talk about it on the show. So I was rushing into these caves before I had really set up enough of an infrastructure to feel confident and, and, um, geared to do it. And I died and I got frustrated and I was ready to just, I stopped streaming it because it's like, I didn't quit like that day, but like I didn't return to doing those experimental streams. Cause like, this is, I just, I don't want to sp spend all this time in early game Minecraft and not explore the new caves. And there's, there's, there's a certain amount of setup time I'm feeling that is needed um, before you really go kind of willy nilly and, and exploring um, I'm not saying you can't do it early, but I'm saying that there's probably going to be more than just like grabbing a wooden sword and a pickaxe and hauling off uh, on your adventure. I feel like you're going to have to wait a little bit longer before you you jump into that stuff. Yeah, I do think it's encouraging people to explore, but also encouraging people to slow down. <laughs> yes. And it's it's a difficult balance to strike. But I think there are ways around that as well. If you're itching to get into some of the caves and whatnot, especially if you've taken the time to go and find iron and gear up and everything beforehand, then I think, first of all, a bucket of water is your friend in a variety of situations. It'll get you out of a tight spot. It will wash mobs further away if you're getting surrounded by them. Um, you can use it to break your fall, like, there will be a variety of things where a bucket of water will really help you, depending, of course, on your manual dexterity, and, you know, there are some issues where if your reaction times aren't particularly fast, it can be difficult to use effectively. But I do think there's going to be, um, you know, opportunities to use more of the survival skills that you can learn and, and try and add some strategy to the way you explore in terms of dealing with mobs and dangerous situations as well. Notice, actually, Minecraft Mama didn't mention how they are dying. Uh, and so there's there's potential for, like, it's either mobs or it's you fall into a dripstone cave, you land on a stalagmite or something, and, you know, there's a variety of ways that can happen. So that can be uh, a little bit rough either way. Um, but I do think that some of the survival skills, if you're going to be exploring in a place where you don't want to be setting your spawn constantly, just need a little bit more honing and a little bit more practice and if that fails you, then I think the slow and steady approach to getting geared up and maybe digging down from somewhere near your spawn point instead of going out to find that magical cave entrance that's going to lead you down into the underground might be a better place to start. Building up that infrastructure before you really step too far away from a place that you can respawn reliably. I think a strategy that I might employ going out is... Uh 
setting up some sort of very temporary camp. And maybe it's a fun opportunity to like design a tent, you know, in Minecraft mm -hmm. uh, or a small cabin, but put it somewhere as high, like find a mountain, even if it's not an interesting mountain that you necessarily want to, you know, live on or explore for too long, giving yourself a cool place to live temporarily where that you you know from a standpoint if you turn around and say where did i you know where did i go again how did, where, where am i geographically in the world uh you can use that as a as a fairly easy to spot you know uh uh landmark uh and that way branching out from there um i would have to resist like the the builder in me would have to say okay look just build a box just build a box mm -hmm. with a door and sleep in it uh, or dig a hole in the side of a cave and make sure it's marked with a, like torches or something that you can find it again and just kind of like build a bunch of temporary things i think uh it could be a fun design challenge too like if you want to build tiny campsites everywhere you know like yeah. a different color tents you know red tent blue tent yellow tent like just kind of say okay well i know that my most recent place was the blue campsite so if i can find that then i know that that's my stuff is gonna be nearby or like whatever that happens to be um but i i do find it frustrating when you start to die in those like loops early game where like you don't yeah have the right gear and then like to go get all the stuff that you just lost you're still not geared up right and like yeah it can get it can get very frustrating and i'm sure that's not the experience that mojang wants people to have speaking of uh tents one of the things i one of the ideas i had fairly early in playing pc minecraft because of being able to grow giant mushrooms was to use red mushrooms as a pop-up tent and it kind nice. of relies on you having podzol and a, a decent supply of red mushrooms but you can always break them down for more mushrooms once you've grown one of the large ones so if you just bring some podzol some bone meal and red mushrooms with you you can make a tent that is sometimes even like a couple of blocks off the ground and you just like outline the bottom of it with slabs put a trap door in there and a couple of ladders up the stalk and you end up in a place where you know you can break out of one side easily if mobs surround you but most of the time they won't be able to get up close to you and uh yeah if you if you want a little pop-up tent it's always a, a fun design to go with is the the red mushroom easy to spot from a distance as long as you're not in a roof forest or somewhere mm. those mushrooms grow naturally yeah that's well. true too that's true too i mean also tree houses are quick you know kind of get up yeah. inside of a tree uh and hollow something out and live up in there i just i i usually try to do something that gets you up off the ground as well just because it just alleviates the mob problem um, yes in early game um I, as far as gear and stuff like that, I would imagine, I mean, like previously you'd want to bring a lot of torches if you're going to be doing some caving and looking for, for, uh, minerals and, and things. But like, I don't know if you need stacks upon stacks of torches anymore because of the light level changes. So I feel like you can travel a little bit lighter. Yeah, maybe. And, and I, I think honestly, leaving yourself a bit of a breadcrumb trail to follow is a good start in the beginning mm -hmm. so honestly like placing a torch every you know 20 or 30 blocks whilst you're traveling in any specific direction might be a good way to at least yeah leave yourself some a, a trail of string that you can follow to get out of the labyrinth of wherever you've ended up i mean um, i know when i explore the 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 nether i bring blocks that would never be there like cobblestone and and stuff that just is very you know alien to that landscape and leave like little cairns along the way with a torch on it you can do the same thing in the overworld you know, you could leave yeah. torches or blocks with torches or fence posts with torches, like whatever you have a lot of, you know, not maybe not a grass block, but like something that's obviously player placed. Cobblestone is a good one just because it's easy to spawn.
Yeah, a couple of uh, the folks in our live chat are actually suggesting some really good stuff. So uh, Jeff Rothian says, building little shelters either in a cave or in the open with a bed uh, at the end of the day is usually a good idea. Marking them with a couple of torches and then even after, you know, you've ended up moving on from that, they can be hostels for the next person if somebody else is following you on a server or potentially they can just be easy places for you to respawn nearby. Uh, Jumbo Sale says, Henrik in his last video... Um, mentioned leaving a trail of beds and campfires and i think the campfire also adds to the kind of feeling of exploration but it's a smoke beacon as well right so something else that you can see from a distance once the particles are within range and that might be an easy trail to follow if you're just sort of out in the wilderness looking for where you ended up without cannibalizing the first few episodes of the next season of survival guide <laughs> what would you say is like the timeline like like new player 118 world um you're looking to set out for the first time uh so maybe not the same as tim s who already has an established world but like you know you get a brand new seed how long do you think it's going to be gameplay wise before you can go out relatively confidently like i want to say in in my case as a more experienced player probably about an hour hmm. and I, I'm, I'm thinking the first few episodes of survival guide are going to be first of all you know, take note of the world around you, get your early tools, get some food, you know, start a furnace. Maybe if you're lucky and there are sheep around, get some wool, craft a bed so that you can skip the night or make yourself an early shelter. Then it's about finding iron so you can, you know, operate on a relatively comfortable level armor and tool wise. And you're not going to have tools that break after a couple of uses. And from there, it's about deciding which direction you want to go, what landmarks feel like they're worth exploring and what resources you can get from them. Are you looking for diamonds as your next port of call so that you can be more secure in terms of armor and tools? Are you looking for just a cool place to go and build? And I think that's the thing. In, in Minecraft Mama's email especially, it's about exploring and looking to find a place to set up camp. And I think that's something that maybe needs to happen, if not sooner <laughs> than, than they've managed, then maybe like set up some temporary camps along the way like if a place kind of looks cool then you know stick a pin in it and 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 leave a bed there and and try and gather materials for more of a bed along the way and then you have a a, a trail of beds that you can follow in that respect i do think it's it's going to vary a lot though depending on the variety of terrain that's around you and how livable it is it might be easier to set up around spawn. And that's why I haven't done too much planning ahead for Survival Guide, because whatever the world throws at me is something that I'm going to have to react to. I think for me too that uh, it's been so long since I've explored the the snapshots and stuff, uh, just because they started to come so fast and, and furious this close to release. I, I don't know if it's going to be, if it's difficult to find cheap and wool in the snapshots, like if the new terrain is providing, you know, more challenges in finding the mobs and therefore players that want to move on are having trouble finding enough to have that spare bed to leave the other bed behind. Um, yeah. I know that would be a battle of patience for me. Yeah. Again, I think it depends on the biome because there, there have been some spawns when I've just been generating random worlds in the, the pre-releases that I've ended up in a, in a badlands and there's not a great deal of animals around there to help you out. Likewise, deserts and even snowy plains spawns, you don't get access to those resources until you're in the next biome or two over. So... Yeah, it can be a little bit more difficult surviving situations like that, in which case you've got to learn how to make yourself safe. You've got to find a cave. You've got to be able to dig a hole so that you can last out the night. And, you know, the, there's various things that you can do. But once you start getting down into cavern layers and there's a lot more mobs around, I think that's when the difficulty starts to uh, creep in. 
Um, and moving on to Tim S's email with uh, an, a more established world, as you mentioned, I think, honestly, if you've got yourself at the point where you're comfortable with your gear, you maybe have some enchanted armor and a couple of reliable tools, I think go for it, really. Like, I think the part of the fun of 1.18 is going to be in just reaching out into the world and seeing what is out there. Maybe be a little bit more wary of which direction you're going and, and have a plan for exploring. And if you're on uh, Xbox, I believe Tim is, I don't know what you have in terms of coordinates. I'm pretty sure you can enable them on Xbox the same way you can on Bedrock Edition for PC. Uh, but at least keeping track of where you're going and where you've been and that makes it a little bit easier because the coordinates are on screen even if you die, so you usually know more or less where you were. Um, but aside from that, yeah, I, I think, honestly, just go for it and and have fun and look for whatever your next big base is going to be because that's the landmarks that you're finding in 1.18 terrain are going to be uh, a little more spectacular than we're all used to at this point. And don't forget that, I mean, if you are on a single-player world and you travel really far afield and you die your items won't despawn until you load those chunks again. Like the timer yes. doesn't start until those chunks are loaded. So if you if you know that that stuff is out there, take your time and get geared back up again uh, to the best of your ability and then venture out at least in the general direction. And hopefully you won't lose all your stuff. Um, I mean, obviously, unless there's like a lava incident or something like that. But for the most part, you, you know, you, you can you can even on a server, as long as there's no one around, you know, you can potentially get stuff back. I've had that happen on the Citadel where I've died or I've been guiding a player that's been not panicked, but like frustrated that they've died, they've lost their stuff or they can't find it. And then I can say like, well, you're the only one on right now. So like, as long as you don't rush back to that point, everything will be fine. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just inform everybody on the discord, you know? So, um, yeah. or, and sometimes um, people, if you, if you can't get there and someone else is nearby and you know that, and then sometimes server mates that have the time can pop on quickly, put all your stuff in a chest, make a funny sign, you know, and leave yeah. it for you the next the next day. Um, I think as far as exploring, you know, with an established world, like I, that's that's where the fun comes in. That's kind of like a you know which way, left or right, you know, which way do you want to go, uh, and, and see see where the road takes you. Um, I would think the hard part would be stopping, you know, would be like oh this is a really cool mountain i could totally build something cool here i wonder what's on the other side of it oh that's a really cool like insert whatever it is you know mm -hmm. cave yeah whatever like i just imagine you're going to be traveling because i remember from exploring the experimental snapshots like walking around for two thousand three thousand blocks and just going like wow cool <laughs> constantly mm -hmm. uh and then trying to decide where to set up so i i'm i think maybe the, the challenge for tim might be less the technical stuff of just surviving and more like the you know the decision making of like which which way to go and which way to keep going you know and whether or not you should go around i'd imagine a lot of people are kind of going to be making a big circle you know trying to figure out from their home base what is the coolest stuff within a radius and then kind of like go from there yeah where where are the weird biomes at <laughs> where is some of the the more spectacular stuff going to be well with all of these people preparing for the move to 1.18 it was only natural that we would discuss that ourselves with caves and cliffs part two releasing tomorrow for us at the time of this recording what are we both doing to prepare for release um let's start with you joel uh i'm gonna back up my world and then mm -hmm. I'm going to back up the backup of the world. I'm going to put that <laughs> on an external hard drive somewhere that I can't touch it. And then I'm going to take a copy of that backup 
and I'm going to drop it into MCA Selector, which is the software that I use to trim chunks. So for those of you that don't know, the Citadel is four years old and we are a perpetual world. We don't reset. We continue to update uh, the existing world with each Minecraft update. And so in order to get new content closer to us, I tend to jump in and trim the chunks. Uh, notably, the Nether update took a long time because those borders are very obvious because the Nether is just solid blocks everywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, for the most part now on the overworld my i guess course of action has always been to go to existing areas in the world we have different build zones so like there's a modern city there's the medieval town there's uh our medieval fantasy area i guess i should say uh and that consists of like almost a continent like everything in minecraft is connected at some point by land like you can't really have just an, you can have a big lake but you can't necessarily have a continent there's always something connected but you can kind of you know outline them to the best of your ability and it has limited the number of visual chunk borders that i have received in previous updates when i want to update um content uh because if anything really kind of weird and sharp happens it happens 20 blocks underwater and you just can't see it uh which is cool uh, I am, however, looking forward to attempting to tighten that around our existing areas a little bit more and uh, and try to get some new terrain. I'm less worried about topography. I don't think after watching what they've been doing with the snapshots, I'm going to get any like skyscraper cliffs or anything like that. There might mm -hmm. be some extreme shifts, but it's going to still feel pretty natural, I think. What I am concerned about is the biome stuff. Uh, because of the way that biomes work now compared to existing biomes in my world, I'm worried that I'm going to have a nice smooth terrain and a very strange, you know, like desert in the middle of a taiga forest or something. And yeah. so I need to do some testing. So I'm going to be doing that on a backup of the world. Uh, and of course, before I do that, I'll be loading up how to edit your Minecraft 113 world and preparing your world for the nether update. Both of these uh, should sound familiar to you, Pixelrefs, because they're videos that you made about MCA Selector. Uh, <laughs> I, I, and, I, might, I might have heard of them, yeah. Yeah, well, and I because I refer to them every time there's an update. I just, I take a half an hour and I, I watch them. I'll confess that maybe after a little while I get my brain is back into it and I'll like skip ahead to different points and different techniques that you use when you're trimming chunks. But they're very helpful and it it helps me feel more confident going into the the Citadel world, which I I know it's a backup of a backup, but it's still something that everybody put a lot of time in. And when you're doing it as specifically as I am, like pixel by pixel going around continents and stuff like that, if you screw up, it takes a long time to redo. So uh, I'd rather not have to do that. Uh, so I mm -hmm. tend to go in small increments and save and, and see what's up. So uh, they are great guides. And uh, to my knowledge, MCA Selector, while it, I'm sure it's had a couple of updates, it still functions very much the same. Uh, usually yeah. the updates involve like cleaner UI and stuff that makes sense. Um, but that's what I'll be doing to get rid of the Citadel ready, at least on the world side. Uh, I'll give a shout out to my friend Alistair, who is also an admin on the server with me. Uh, he's going to help with updating things like the data packs that we have. Um, we, we use fabric, um, mostly for performance. We do have a map mod, uh, as we've talked about on the show that helps me design things from top down. Um, but all of those things, we'll have to make sure that we've got, you know, 118 versions and functionality and all that kind of stuff in there. As far as I know, we're not going to deviate from Optifine and Optifabric. We might try something like, uh, oh, what's the name of it? it? Starts with an S. Um, 
is it fabric it's a similar fabric mod to to uh, sodium sodium thank you um sodium lithium there's a couple of other ones that we run on the server side that don't affect client stuff they just kind of make the server run better uh, but then sodium is the client side one that kind of works in the same way that optifine would do doesn't have shaders but it does allow for um for optimization i've not had any luck with it plus i tend to want shaders for screenshots so i tend to stick with mm -hmm. optifine um, but all of this stuff is going to take a while because of the trial and error of going into mc selector and and changing these things and i'm kind of hoping that that will also give some of the mod developers and data pack developers that we utilize a chance to update their stuff um to, yeah to 118 um some of which fabric is really good like there's been stuff like the fabric api is in the snapshots already like it, it, it fabric tends to be pretty fast to update um but uh optifine is usually a little while and that can sometimes for me mean the difference between playing and not playing uh it can be an enjoyable yeah. experience or something that gives me a headache in 20 minutes because of the the issues that i tend to have with minecraft uh so um, that will give me some time. Uh, and in that time, unfortunately, uh, I have to switch hosting providers. So this is actually adding uh, another layer of technical stuff, which some people might be dealing with because um, Cubed Host uh, is the company that I had been hosting my, my Citadel server and my patron server with for the last several years. And they're unfortunately going out of business. And I, I want to give a shout out to, to Cube Toast, it's sad news, sorry to hear, but they provided a great service. And whenever I dealt with them, the customer service was pretty good, uh, very helpful folks. And it's sad to see them go, but it means that I need to find a new home for um, for the Citadel and my patron server. And while the server location as it stands will be active and available until December 30, no, 29th or something, um, I'm taking the opportunity of all of the admin work I have to do this week anyway for 117 to just move, just move now, just download the backups from the Citadel and just go to 118 on a new, on a new server and, and go forward from there. Um, I have some leads I haven't decided yet. So that's something else that I have to consider. Um, but that's, that's kind of what I'm looking at in terms of moving forward with, um, an already long to-do list as far as the admin side goes. And I, these are the things that we don't talk about an awful lot on like running servers. Like we, we've, we've had, you know, Eximavoid on the show from Hermitcraft talking about some of the behind the scenes and some of the, the planning and stuff that goes into it. But a lot of that was still gameplay. We didn't really get into too much of the technical stuff uh, outside of the fact that they have a private server. They don't use a, a, a company. Um, but like, it's, it's one of those things where, um, you set it and forget it until it's broken and you have to then fix it. And then you're mm -hmm. like, oh gosh, now I have to dive into this. Like, who do I use and what provider is best? And I've got some leads and we'll see what's up over the next few days. Um, and it's not that hard to move. I remember when I moved from the previous host to Cubed Host, or because I was with one host for a very short period of time. And I, that was a pretty seamless process. So most places that want new business, especially when they hear about a host going out of business, there's probably going to be some tools and stuff that are going to allow me to move across fairly easily. But there is a lot of admin and a lot of work that goes in behind the scenes in this kind of stuff. So if you're part of a server, uh, make sure you're patient over the next week or so with your server admins and mods uh, and thank them <laughs> because it takes yeah. a long time and a lot of work. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about the the my own experiences hosting my patron server, which is not updating to 1.18. It's going to be closing down at the end of this year. Um, but thinking about the experiences the Hot Dish was sharing when she was on the podcast about adminning the 8-bit community server and 
they have a lot of help with that but also like so many of the plugins and stuff need to update so that they can make sure that their service security is up to scratch not just from you know random griefers getting in or or anything like that but in terms of things that they need to be able to roll back updates if somebody has done some stuff that they weren't supposed to be doing if somebody's built somewhere and they need to change that or if creeper holes end up in the landscape and you know it's too much of an effort to fix certain things then yeah like you need to make sure all of that stuff is available to you as server infrastructure um so that's something that's gonna maybe delay a few people updating to 1.18 in in larger communities like that I think for the individual, though, it's going to be a matter of, you know, if, if you have a world to update, it should be a fairly straightforward process. One thing I will recommend, though, having done a bit of MCA selector chunk trimming myself in the past, um, there are areas of a world, even if you think you've explored on a very broad scale, there are still going to be some areas that you've missed. There'll be little black dots all over the map when you load up an MCA selector file. And that leaves you with a decision because it's not necessarily the outside of the world that's going to be generating new terrain. It might be one or two chunks that you just haven't flown over when you've been exploring the world with Elytra or traveling by horse or whatever you end up doing. And so I think it is worth loading a world up in MCA Selector and first deciding whether you want to explore those regions specifically or if you are fine with them just generating whatever the game is going to throw out there. Because they will still blend into the terrain, but there could be an attempt to spawn a desert, like you said, in the middle of a, a snow plains if there's just one or two chunks that never got loaded there. So potentially that's something worth looking at even before you start the... Uh, the, the process of trimming the redundant chunks of your world and seeing what generates there. Yeah, we've I've not run into that as much on the Citadel, but it does does exist in some places. Uh, mostly it's, it seems to be over oceans, so that's hopefully not going to be too mm -hmm. much of a big deal. But yeah, I, that's an excellent point. And uh, one of the tips that uh, I believe you shared uh, and I used uh, with my own kind of custom, I think, colors and ideas, or at least timings, was that you can look at not just loaded and unloaded chunks in MCA Selector, but you can actually give yourself what's like a heat map. And it'll overlay your Minecraft world with colors based on how long those chunks have been loaded. And so rather than trying to look at something from the top down and realize, is that a player structure or is that just a cool looking cliff? Like who did someone build that? Like, am I, or am I removing someone's mind that I don't know about? You can look at the world and say like, oh, all right, well, there's spawn. That's bright red because people have been there for ages, you know? Uh, and then as you get to the farther outskirts, then you can see, oh, wow. Okay. Here's this really light green along this coastline. And I can say like, I don't think anybody's done anything here other than maybe travel by by boat once, right? Mm -hmm. And so that allows for some really um, easy and informative selection. And those chunks that you, you would see uh, in the middle of your world, uh, you would know uh, whether or not they've been um, loaded, obviously, because they'll be black. But then even if they haven't been loaded very long, they'll be a different color. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it's great the amount of community tools that are out there, though, for stuff like this. It's it's so helpful. So again, w while we're giving shout outs, hats off to anybody who makes tools that make it so easy for you to uh, to admin worlds like this and figure out who's been where and, and whatnot. Um, this is a problem that I don't really have to face uh, where I'm at right now because... I'm a little jealous. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't have plans to update any of my older worlds to the new release. With that said, I might create a demonstration world so that 
in one of my early videos, I can explain the upgrade process from old worlds to new worlds because I know a lot of people are going to be in the same boat there. But then if those tutorials I made a while back are still accurate to the experience of using MCA Selector, I can just, like, you know, wave in their general direction and say, watch those videos for how to trim chunks and everything else. Um, but I'm, I'm even planning to start a new creative super flat world so that I can... Um, you know, have it feel like a companion world to all of the stuff that I make for Survival Guide Season 2. Because I'm planning on trying some creative builds and, you know, testing farms and stuff like that a lot more. Where in the original season of Survival Guide, I was teaching myself technical Minecraft in survival as I went. I feel like now I have a bit more of a uh, a foundation in that kind of knowledge base <laughs> that I can, I can branch out from there and start designing some of my own farms. So a brand new creative flat world that's going to feel like a companion piece to the main world and then the main world is going to be all new because i decided fairly early that i didn't want to upgrade the old world not least because if i wanted to start from scratch it would involve moving world spawn it would probably involve deleting the nether and the end and there'd be no point in preserving the world at that point because i would never go near any of the other stuff that i'd never built anyway um so yeah i am i'm mostly just keeping busy at the moment until uh until the release shows up i think one of the things that's interesting about this update as a returning player is things like ore distribution changing um which wasn't a feature of any of the previous updates really other than the additions of things like copper ore distribution has not changed like this i think ever <laughs> like since most of these materials were introduced so the mining meta has changed significantly and it's not just gonna you're not gonna be able to just mine at y11 and get all of the possible materials anymore so i'm i'm reading up on stuff like ore distribution to make sure i know what's new and what the effective ways to get some of these materials are and i'm not going to lead with that in the survival guide necessarily but when it comes to how to find iron I need to know what I'm talking about and where the best places are going to be to go for it. So I think that's that's something that if you are a little bit more experienced and you want to prepare yourself for 1.18, it's a good place to start is find out where the ideal levels are for each resource, including stuff like coal and copper, which you're not going to find in deep slate caverns. You're going to find diamonds the further down in the world you go along with redstone. The gold is going to peak somewhere around negative 16 on the y-axis. And then iron you're going to find more and more the higher up you go in mountains along with emerald ore and coal. So there's going to be potential for all sorts of approaches to mining now where previously it was just, okay, just go to this level of the world and branch mine. I think that's that's a really fun aspect of this update which will frustrate some people who just want to get an easy start. But remember, this is gameplay, you know, this is this adding value to the overall approach to the game and making it feel like a more natural world out there. Um, I think it's going to be worth learning to spot the telltale signs of huge ore veins for copper and iron. Um, so if you start finding iron ore around large amounts of tuff in the deep slate caverns, then you know what's up. Um, and I think in my case, I probably want to know the differences between all of the mountain peaks and their sub biomes and the names of the biomes that have changed like old growth birch forest and things because 
like I, I still find myself saying Mesa when I mean Badlands a lot of the time. And yeah. while that's a forgivable mistake and a lot of people will stubbornly refer to them only as Mesa, it's not what the game calls them and I'm trying to make a tutorial. So I, I'm trying my best to uh, to hone in on some of that terminology and make sure I get it right first time. I'm not even that old school and I'll still call them a Mesa because that's generally what they're called yeah. in real life, right? Like I just, I, I, there's that real world vernacular that kind of works its way into Minecraft yeah. sometimes. It's like the, the Mesas are the plateau sections of it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like I, th- I think, you know, you know, you're old school if you still call terracotta stained clay. And <laughs> there's, there's, I'm sure there's uh, any, any number of other examples that the, uh, the folks who've been playing since Minecraft classic can, can tell us at this point. Um, on the flip side of that, though, I am trying to forget some of the terminology we've been using to discuss caves while we were giving feedback on their generation, because for a start, it was internal terminology that they shared with the community when they were developing it, just to try and explain the caves more easily, calling them things like cheese caves and noodle caves. Um, and that isn't necessarily like player facing information anywhere in minecraft even in the debug screen it's not going to say you're in a cheese cave biome now uh so i'm gonna try and like rein that in a little bit when i i don't i don't want to pop out into this massive underground cavern with lava flowing from the ceiling and you know mobs everywhere and go oh we found a cheese cave you know like that's gonna deeply confuse most of my audience so i do think um i think i'm gonna try and forget some of that terminology a little bit and come up with a few alternatives because uh, it feels like too jokey a name for how epic some of these caves look um so i'm gonna start saying the word cavern or grotto a whole lot um but i think it's it's gonna be fun seeing what stuff happens organically in those spaces and what terminology the community settles on for uh talking about this stuff or if cheese caves and noodle caves and that stuff is is gonna stick long term so with regards to the the new terms that you're looking at, are you thinking about like proper geological terms that you know you could look up to better describe the caves? Or are you thinking of more like generic Minecraft names like Lava Lake Cave to have the ones that have like the big lava aquifers at the bottom or mm-hmm. or more simple like Big Dripstone Cave versus Small Dripstone Cave? I think there's a certain amount of value in naming those areas of the world yourself. You develop your own shorthand for it, right? Mm, And so mm -hmm. if there isn't any official terminology that makes sense to use, if it's not like a lush cave because you're referring to that biome specifically, then you start calling it more or less whatever you want and then it starts to take on an identity of its own like if i if i step into a massive open space with dripstone everywhere i'm going to call it a dripstone cavern first of all but then if i start building some stuff in it it's going to take on its own identity and i might end up coming up with like a a dwarven sounding name for it or something like that um but i think generic minecraft names just as descriptive as possible is going to make the most sense you know just having like big lush cave in in your head is is going to make a a lot more sense than trying to call it you know the you know the lush cave with the the cheese generation <laughs> you know that doesn't make as much sense to me no i mean and i mean whatever you do maybe don't rely on the community to name it for you cuz you'll end up with like lushy lush cave of lushiness and then mm-hmm. you'll never be able to turn back <laughs> yeah <laughs> Slatey McSlate face is you know, <laughs> always going to be the way. But yeah, in, in terms of like what my, my first steps are in terms of gameplay, I, I don't know. And I'm 
kind of enjoying that fact but also deeply scared about what my what my plans are going to be because like i said i'm i'm going to be reactive to what the world uh, throws out and in the meantime i'm also just going to be listening to the soundtrack to caves and cliffs on repeat because i think all of the new music is going to add so much to the game in terms that's of atmosphere right. um so that's all on spotify and youtube and a couple of other places so uh so definitely worth listening to the music uh why don't you wrap us up joel with um what your plans are for gameplay on the citadel once you finally make the leap to 118 so I've been thinking about what might be the best course of action. And uh, I, I had a gift from a Cosmic Servermate uh, recently of a lot of Deep Slate and some new Shulker boxes. So that checks off something that I was going to go do. But I still do need to have like, you know, I would like to have like a full Shulker full of Deep Slate. I'd like to have a full Shulker full of Tough so that as I'm building this new uh, part of the, the medieval town, I don't have to go hunting like every couple, you know, streams for new stuff. Uh, so I thought, you know, doing some caving, doing some exploring could be really cool. Do I want to start adventuring out looking for stuff in new chunks? Or do I want to think about expanding my personal mind under my witch farm in the swamp? And I'm kind of torn. I uh, One of the issues we're running into on the server as we all expand and move off to do our own little things is that all of the main community farms in Dartmouth Meadows are kind of running dry because they're not being run all the time because there's no one loading the chunks. Uh, or not as many people loading the chunks. Uh, so uh, people have built some auto farms for the things that they want themselves. But for ma major things like, you know, carrots for golden carrots, for sheep and for chicken and for all that kind of stuff. Um, Sugarcane is another one. Uh, we we don't have those farms loaded all the time. And so uh, we have a mine, a community mine in Dartmouth Meadows as well. And it might be worth a, a fun project, even a fun community project for the Dartmouth Meadows mine to dig down to expand it to go beyond uh, where it is now which is like y11 i think uh, and take it down deeper and then uh, use those chunks and that mining opportunity of people gathering stuff to revitalize the farms that we have going we've got villager crop farms we've got all kinds of stuff going on um, or like i said underneath my my witch farm i don't necessarily want to clear the entire chunk but i i have basically taken out um the beacon perimeter underneath my swamp base like it is a very technical functional area with a slime farm and a witch farm and a skeleton spawner and a zombie spawner and i just like i just cleared out a huge amount of space underneath it. and that's why i have so much stuff and i've never had to really do much mining since uh so i'm also debating for my own personal stores if i could just you know create a layer and start going down farther into the deep slate and seeing what i find like i might find a really cool cave i might find dripstone lush cave i don't know uh, and I have to remind myself that there's going to be new content under the stuff that I've already built. Yeah. Uh, and that is really cool to, to think like you think mountains and you think adventuring, you think far afield. And then, I mean, I guess to bring it back to, to the emails, uh, from Minecraft mama and Tim S, I like in an existing world, I, I can just, my main bed, <laughs> everything ender chest all that stuff spawn it's all right there if i die i'm even on a huge under cave adventure i'm i'm not far you know uh at least from an x x z coordinate i might be very far from a y coordinate um, <laughs> but uh yeah so i'm looking i'm looking forward to trying that kind of stuff and making a decision as to what would be um the best thing and we, it might be a good opportunity to get some people together on the server because it's something we don't do as often as we'd like just because we're all so busy um so that's, I think, mainly what I'm I'm looking for is just 
to go and look and see what's underneath everything and, and see if there's something worth spending a little bit more time um, rather than starting something new on like the side of a mountain or in some meadow somewhere, uh, taking a look and seeing if there's something we could do under existing builds or even just making sure that, you know, the exploration and if it's just for resource gathering, doing that around builds that have had a lot of time and energy put in them by myself and other server mates, it's just nice to walk by that stuff, you know, and, mm -hmm. and remind yourself that you're on a server that's four years old and there's some cool stuff hanging around. Yeah, yeah, I think that's going to be the the fun part for people who have older worlds that they're upgrading is dig down and find out what's been, theoretically speaking, under your feet the entire time, right? Like if, if the Minecraft world was a real world and somehow the bedrock shifted and suddenly there was like a whole area that you could explore underneath that, then that's like, that's part of the lore of your world now. And I think there's some, some really interesting stuff people are going to find. Imagine digging down to find that there's this enormous lush cave underneath a, a swamp like that. Or, you know, and any of that stuff is possible now. So very excited for it. And of course, good luck out there, everybody, uh, for 1.18's full release. Uh, it's happening tomorrow. We're all very excited. And... Hopefully you will have a great time. In the meantime, that is going to be it for this episode of The Spawn Chunks. You can find more about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud as ever to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can do that at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. Joining our community there, pledging at any level, gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat. You can listen to the show live as it is recorded every week, and it also gets us closer to our future milestone goals as well. We're currently at 318 patrons, which is up three from last week and once again continues to climb into the highest numbers we've ever seen. So thank you so much for that. And special thanks go out to our content engineers, bramsey 718 Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, and Yitz. Thank you for your support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance, tell them about the show and where they can go to listen to it. That includes iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube, really wherever you can find a podcast. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page and that's where you can listen to the Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixorifs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixorifs, where I have three episodes of the pre-series of Minecraft Survival Guide Season 2 all ready to go. They're going to be released starting tomorrow, and more videos will come shortly after that. I'm also going to be streaming three days a week on Twitch still. I don't know how much of that is going to be Survival Guide and what's going to be other stuff, but it's all going to be behind-the-scenes stuff for youtube series and occasional larking about with other people in minecraft uh, i'm also the voice of the unofficial hermitcraft recap which you can find through a quick youtube search and aside from that i'm at pixel riffs on both twitter and instagram joel where can people find you online everything i am doing online including my illustration and design portfolio is at joelduggan.com the Citadel Cafe is my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment celebrating 10 years. You can find that at thecitadelcafe.com and you can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch where I play Minecraft, Satisfactory and other games too sometimes. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, so go climb a mountain. <laughs>